Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casazza. I'm staring out of the press box window here at Mount Airfield. Getting chilly. Rain is coming down a little bit harder now. And very symbolic of what we see and how we feel at this stage of the season now. For the first time since 2013, West Virginia not eligible for a bowl game. Hard to believe when you figure this team was 3-1. and one. Not too hard to believe when you figure it's the first year. There are a lot of personnel and philosophical issues that this team is confronted from start to finish front to back here. We're nearly at the end, but it's a 4-7 and seven record. Following a 20-13 to 13 loss to Oklahoma State. Maybe closer than people thought. Maybe not the outcome people expected based on what they saw on the field. And here to discuss what's right, what's wrong, what's heads, what's tails is Chris Anderson. Chris, your Christmas and New Year are free now. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate that. Looking forward to it. First time in a while. But you mentioned first time since 2013. Are you higher or lower now than you were after that year, after that 4-8 and season? Do you think think this program is in a better spot now than it was then? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. It's a really good question because we're not far removed from the high heights of Greer, Sills, Jennings, but never, you know, a 10-win season, never uh, whatever the equivalent of the BCS game is now. And such prodigious talent from Geno and Tavon and Stedman and really good defenses, too, that people tend to forget about that fell off a cliff after that, you know, 5-0. First five games will be cool, suddenly five and five, and then reality really strikes next season. Um, but I think you saw with the win against Oklahoma State late in that season, Clint Trickett was your quarterback. Things look different. Things look better. There are parallels right now. This roster is in better shape, I believe. It's not going to need the influx of junior college talent. I think there's a lot of first and second year players who can make a leap in the offseason or who had better make a leap in the offseason. But they have a quarterback now, too, who is steady and reminds me of previous passers here. I don't want to throw that name out there again, but I think we're seeing flashes of it, but not prolific in the same regard. But I think when you look at the number of people who are coming back, the class they're in, and then again, how much junior college talent you don't need, which means you won't be doing this again in one or two years. Kind of like the footing of the program has here, as opposed to there. Breaking news. Mike Casaza compares Jared Diggy to Will Greer. The next, the second coming. All right. It is up, it is ready to go. Front page, Mike. Uh, You see a little bit of it, though, don't you? God, that touchdown pass to Campbell, I mean, in the good and the bad ways, the completely off the back foot, worst mechanics you've ever seen as he's throwing it. Oh, my God, what are you doing? Perfect lob, because he knows that there's no deep guy, so as long as he throws it long enough, it doesn't matter. And right on point, right over Campbell's shoulder, touchdown. I mean, you could have told me that was a Wheel Greer highlight, and I would have believed you 100%. There was a play in the first quarter, too, that I'm not disagreeing with there, but I think the one that really got me, too, was in the first quarter where he just kind of sidestep, sidestep, and he had a huge amount of space in front of him. And I thought he was going to run it with the chains. And Greer did this a lot where he would run, and then he'd see something, and he'd pass it instead. And he flicked it ahead to, I want to say Campbell. It might have been Simmons. I'm not sure, but it was a 12- or 15-yard gain instead of a six-yard run. But just that throw on the run and like always looking for something. It's, it's just, it's better than what they had. And it's not completely different from something you can build on when you compare, when you consider who was the quarterback here 
you know, for two seasons last year and the year before. Um, I, I don't think he's going to put up the numbers and, and the, the, oh, my gosh, stats every week. But I mean, as long as the talent around him, I think there's, there's potential there, too. It would help if they caught passing. But you just see little things that make you feel like, all right, there's a lot to work with here. Wow, what a what can happen with a winter and a spring as he springboards into the summer? Yeah, what does it say about our uh, recent uh, history with quarterbacks that the last two games he's completing about 70% of his passes for 500-some yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions? And my response has been, eh, pretty good, pretty good. I, I mean, he never puts the ball in danger either. He got hit a couple times today, the ball never came out. I think I think of one throw last week where it was kind of nervy where he tried to go over tops and defenders and in between some defenders. But I can't even think of one 50-50 ball here today that was kind of made you hold your breath. And if it was, it was because the defensive back jumped and made a really good play. I can think of one play on the final drive, but it wasn't close to an interception. It was where it had to be, and the defender just made a good play. I think that, again, he makes his snaps count. Took a couple sacks today that maybe weren't great, but um, putting the ball in play is a big part of offense, and he does that pretty well. Um, and yeah, and I think it would do even better if, like you said, there weren't as many drops. I don't really recall many in the first half. And I think Brown kind of alluded that, to that after the game, noting specifically that there were four after halftime. Um, it's not a lot of help there, but he, Brown was right 28 of 38 with four drops out of those 10 misses. So if he's going to put it in play, then somebody else has got to help him too. Something else too. Um, they put the end zones a hundred yards apart vertically. And I think that you typically reach one quicker if you head that way. And I think if you head to the sideline, that's bad. That's where you get water or where you get a fan or where you get yelled at by your coaches. And for some reason, West Virginia ran a lot of these plays where they threw the ball outside parallel or behind the line of scrimmage and golly, they just didn't work out today. Mike, are you being facetious? No. I think <laughs> I think I know exactly which one you're a couple of plays you're talking about here, but I agree. Uh, yeah. Well, I, oh, oh, I'm talking. Excuse me. I'm not talking about the actual throws went sideline to sideline. I was thinking of also a couple that were guys caught the ball and then ran towards the sideline instead of upfield. But yes, a dozen or so screen passes out into the flat. Can you defend it or can you explain it? Because I think I can, but I also think that we're we're this far in. It's not something to do good. And if you see that tunnel screen again, I think we need to shoot a road flare into the sky and get some help. I think it's mostly because there's no run game. And I think, you know, coaches, especially offensive coaches, like to think of those screen passes, those quick passes as a substitute for the run game. Um Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but eventually they're going to catch on and you have to actually develop a real live run game. So, I agree and I disagree in some regard here. Um, a very sieve defense that was forgiving and friendly that you could throw the ball over top of. They did a bunch of stuff where they, they blitzed a lot. The defensive coordinator likes to blitz, but they give up a lot of plays. And West Virginia had good looks at many of them. They connected by and large on, on many of them too. And I can understand that you're going to have to throw the ball in the flats, whether to running backs or on screen plays, and you're going to have to use that 53 and a third to your full advantage. But um, that's if, like, you're worried about teams being concentrated in the middle. And you kind of are, but, like, I think you can also stretch the team the other way. And if you can pull safeties back, make them gather base a little bit with vertical passes, that might work. And 
I'm not saying they didn't try that. They threw the ball and pushed it a couple times, but nothing they did on Cloud in the middle here. Um, for the 600th time, and we can um, get the confetti and the ticker tape here. Chris, what's wrong with the running game? Uh, man, um, they can't block. They can't run. Uh, oftentimes, they're having bad reads on how many defenders are in the box, whether to check in or even on uh, run pass options or read options, uh, some poor decisions. You name it, I think it's all going wrong. Kind of a kitchen sink game, too, where I think they tried to do a bunch of things. Tried outside, tried inside. Didn't see a draw, I don't think. But I was also surprised we saw very little of the motion behind the play that might have pulled people out of there. And, you know, Winston Wright, I can't really remember doing anything in that regard. Um, flipped, I think, the formation just a handful of times, but still tried it. it just uh, just things weren't working there. And, and it kind of, you know, it blew up in spectacular fashion where it was going so poorly that I don't think that they wanted to run the ball near the goal line. And, you know, at the end, kicking a field goal when you're on the one, Instead of having the touchdown on the Sam James reception or punching it in there on one of your three snaps, is a significant difference in the game. Um, let's start. Let's start there. Uh, should Sam James have a touchdown, or is that close enough where it's hard to give it to him? I thought it was a touchdown at the time. I uh, yeah. When I saw the replay, I don't understand how his knee didn't touch the ground, but it didn't. And so unless they've changed the rule and now the side of your ankle is considered down, because I feel like that's the only thing that touched the ground before his butt touched the ground. And, and when his butt touched the ground, the ball was already in the end zone. So, I, I mean, I think that was just a terrible call. I believe what they'll say is that shin counts as down. Was his shin down, though? I did not have a good look at it in the monitors, in the press box, and stadium scoreboard while big and of high definition didn't really give me a good look at it either but was his shin even down i don't think so i mean you're getting closer like i said i feel like it was that the bone your ankle bone that sticks out that looks like that might have been on the ground and that was it and but even still when that was on the ground the ball was at about the three inch line and they put it out at you know three quarters of a yard which still you got to get it in, punch it in from three quarters of a yard out. But yeah. if that is ruled a touchdown on the field, it doesn't get overturned, right? No, no chance. Let's talk about just the bad luck of West Virginia. I would think that, I mean, certainly more often than not. So let's just say six times out of 10, you're going to call that a touchdown on the field. The referee says, eh, I have replay in my back pocket. And I'm going to call it down. We'll review it. If it's bad, it's bad. They review it. It's not confirmed. The call stands. That's bad luck because you're on the bad side of the coin there. And then this is what happens to teams that are, I don't know, I don't want to say inept, but not good at running the ball. You have to get inventive and you have to get creative. West Virginia does not do a lot of quarterback sneaks. They practice it once during the week. Um, got too high on one, got too low on the other, got nothing. And then, again, if you have to make things happen and you try to make the problem go away as opposed to fix it, what you do is you try to go unbalanced on the left side of the line. So you put two guards and a tackle to the left of the center, except one of your guards forgets. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. <laughs> and you're left with a fire drill right before the play clock goes down and everybody panics and all of a sudden you get a false start. Now it's third and goal from the six and 
your quarterback gets his arm clipped on what probably would have been a touchdown to Sam James in the back. Um, when it's going bad, it's going bad. When it rains, it pours. And that was a pretty good indictment of the season there. Yes, it was. I, I, I tweeted it as soon as I said, man, that seems like a bad call, but it's inside the one, so it shouldn't matter. And as soon as I typed, it shouldn't matter, I thought, well, it might, because second, I mean, I was about to say third and short, but anything in short, West Virginia seems to just have trouble with. And I don't, what did you think of the two QB sneaks? Don't like it. Okay. I, I didn't, I didn't like how it just wasn't creative enough. I, I'm okay with the first one, I think. Um, I mean, I, they did not, I, I am okay with the call on the first one. I'm not okay with how it went down, but they, they were getting no push. The offensive right. line was getting no push at all. Uh, they really didn't have a chance. I thought it probably might have been in, but it's hard to tell. I can't believe they didn't check that out on replay too, but they're already having a bunch of replays as it was. So, I, man, that's just, that's tough. Failed QB sneak, failed QB sneak, and then a miscommunication, missed lineup, false start. Brutal. Only thing that would have topped it off would have been missing the field goal. Yeah, so thanks to Evan Staley, we don't have a complete car fire there. So that was good. Um, I think what I don't like about Sneak is just all the new parts. Um, that's a tough thing for any center to do. Uh, Parents playing with a bad shoulder, and that's hard to play that spot there when you got to push, and that center is right above you. And you're really dealing with two or three guys because they're coming right to the middle. So that's a hard thing to ask the first time. The second time, um, I don't know, you figure – it's better than a 50-50 play, you would think. So you're going to get probably the second one. It didn't. I'm almost surprised they didn't do it a third time just because that would have been great to watch <laughs> and see what happened there. But, again, that, that did kind of matter there. And um, just kind of a prolonged problem for them this season. Red zone opportunities are not exactly what they want to do. Um, in there three times today, two scores, uh, no touchdowns, two field goals. And in the end, um, right down to the very last possession of the game, um, Fittingly, that's where the game ends, and that's where the bowl eligibility ends, just because they couldn't do it. And um, going to be something they're going to have to work on too. I'm not saying they don't work on it now too, but just the efficiency rate has to get a lot better there too. Um, other you, areas. Oh, go ahead. Are you are you growing concerned with? Because I brought this up at the Kansas State game. Was it, yeah, it was Kansas State because I said I was locked and loaded to roast Neil Brown about his his use and non-use and misuse of timeouts and clock management. And you laughed, but I don't think you were laughing at me because I was wrong. I think you laughed just because it's like, hey, they won. But here it is again, that last play. And he addressed it head on in postgame, saying he just figured it was the last drive, so he was going to call timeouts and use them and use it as the last opportunity. I don't agree. I, yeah, I, 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 I'm growing concerned because this is this is multiple times this year where there were situations where West Virginia should have had multiple plays ready to go if they didn't say if hey if we convert we're doing this if we don't convert we're doing that and they used two timeouts back to back on short yardage plays and then came in and substituted on the after the second timeout or after the first timeout which resulted in the long substitution from Oklahoma State and forcing WVU to use a second timeout. Um, I mean, you're killing your chances there. If you, you're, you're 
limiting yourself to just one opportunity. And I can't say I agree with, with several of these instances that have happened this year. I like prolonging the game as much as I can, which is why I think if they had scored, they're not going to go for two. Um, get it to overtime and give yourself a chance. And I think that you could really argue that West Virginia was playing okay, especially if they scored there, that you can throw the ball, you can do some things. The trouble is that eventually that ball is going to get inside the 20 and everybody's got a shot collar apparently and can't function the way they're supposed to. So that might have gone bad in overtime. I'm not really sure. What was curious about the overtime, or excuse me, the, the timeout decision was that he made his mind up, and I think he said this after the game too, that once it got to be about three minutes, he's like, this is the last time we're going to get it. And we can beg to differ there too because – let me ask you this. If they got in like fourth and 10 with two minutes and 10 seconds left or something like that, you get the field goal if you got three timeouts, right? Maybe you get a stop there. I don't know. There's a way you can look at that. I'm not sure what his charter's analytics says. But um, burning one, I'm okay with because you have your plan. And he's saying, we're going to, this was four down territories. This is the last time we're going to get it. Um, never mind that your defense has done okay. But I think Hubbard was huffing and puffing there and he was going to be able to move the chain. So I'm okay with that. I just find it hard to believe that as organized as they seem to be and as much as I'm sure they practice these things, they have that long time out and they don't have two plays called um, or that they don't have a play that doesn't require a substitution. Um, and that was what was strange to me because, like, if you need those two yards and you don't get on the first one, you still need short yardage. You're going to have short yardage personnel. So why isn't short yardage personnel in the game? Um, that just seems strange to me. It would have been it would have been a harder thing. Or excuse me, not short yardage, long yardage personnel. You don't need short yardage personnel there. So um, what are you doing? Like, why are you running guys out there? Are you going to run tight ends in there, fullbacks in because you need guys? It was just a weird thing. So um, it was a, it was just a bad situation there. It was untoward, I think. They're playing and they have an idea what they want to do, and it just doesn't work. They need two yards, and they don't, they don't get it going on. And just subbing in. You can complain about how slow and deliberate Oklahoma State was coming off the sideline, sure. But when you open the window, <laughs> sometimes the burglar is going to come through. And if you don't do that opening, then you have a better chance. So I'm just surprised that they weren't more organized and they're more expeditious on between their third and fourth down snaps there. I want to throw out one more stat about the offense real quick because I, I really want to talk about this defense and the job that Vic Koenig's done. Yep. Average third down distance to go. Can you give me a guess what you think it was for West Virginia? On third down, what was their average distance to get to a first down? Hmm. Well, how many did they have is a good question. 14. 14 third downs. Man, that's probably too many for them. I'm going to say it's probably like more than seven. 8.4. Yeah, it felt like seven was a big number for the day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they're at, on average, they were facing third and 8.4 yard, eight yards to go. And that's, again, that goes back to the run game uh, and – you're putting a lot of pressure on on Deggy and on this pass game, on those receivers to be as efficient as possible. And they're not always going to be able to bail out, you know, no run game. So, Kennedy Oof. McCoy had an interesting day. How do you define interesting? He had, let me see here, he had three carries for 11 yards, mm-hmm. six catches for 16 yards. That's nine touches for 29 yards, um, which is different, I guess. You can almost kind of count that as one because he's, he's basically catching passes on running plays, similar to what Hubbard did. Hubbard, um, I think he had 11 catches coming in, and he had seven today, seven for 88. Um, 
so he ends up with almost 200 yards from scrimmage. Um, but also, not just to hang us on McCoy, James, seven catches for 36 yards. Um, Simmons, three for 37. These are, are guys who are important um, and who just aren't really moving the chains or aren't getting freed up in the space. And I understand the part of the plan was like, let's spread them out and try to create some seams or let's do some stuff after the catch. But um, those are players who are kind of high volume touches that you like high volume yardage out of. And it just didn't come through today. It just kind of felt like they were handcuffed. And some of those screens looked like they were going to get 15 yards and they got three. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I, I've gone down the rabbit hole while you were talking. Mm-hmm. The 8.4 yards for West Virginia on third down to go. Since the beginning of October, when West Virginia started losing, after they started 3-1, and one, uh, these are the... The average third down distance to go for first down, 8.4, 8. 8.2, 8. 8.7, 8.5, 8, and 7.3. <laughs> I mean. And you know what's funny is I bet you – I would like to also know this. How many started on second and one or second and three? I'm going to need you to go off on a, a longer diatribe before I can get all that information. Well, I'll do that for a second because I'm also replaying. I'm, I'm kind of fact-checking live here. I was talking about the third down, fourth down play in the timeout, and I'm confused here for a second, but correct me if I'm wrong. The third down timeout was on third and one, right? And they ended the game on third and 12. Okay, I corrected myself and said you should have a package in that was more indicative of two plays for the down and distance. And, again, if it's third and one, and you know you're going to go for it on fourth down. When you call that timeout, why are you subbing? Like you're still, if you don't get the first down on third down, you're going to go for it on fourth down. It's still needing a yard. Why are you subbing? You should have the same personnel package in. And again, you open that window, and they're going to take advantage of it. So again, if it was third and one or third and eleven, if you don't get it, you're going to need the same personnel on the field. I don't understand why you had to sub there. I think that's what I was trying to say. I'm confused yeah. myself with how the game ended, but either way, whatever the situation is, it just seems strange and. I think we can paint a portrait at the end of the season based on all the colors on our palette right now, of different clock management things that we've seen and we've disagreed with. But um, I think that's something that he kind of touched on that. Well, I'm not exactly sure what the question was, but he said, like, I had a lot of things going on at that time. I wasn't paying attention. I forget what the question was, but he said that. And it was in relation to some sort of sequence of events in the game. And, you know, he's talked about it before, too. He wasn't watching the play clock against Baylor because he was working on what do I do at the kickoff? you know, what's personnel direction, things like that. That's hard for a head coach. And this is something that Holgerson eventually begged out of too, where he wasn't going to be in charge of everything. He wasn't going to manage everything. And he was going to kind of be the CEO and let his staff do things here. Are these 
you know, apples and apples. I don't know. Are they apples and oranges? I don't think so. And I wonder in the offseason when he kind of does an audit of everything, hey, we're going to spend a lot of our spring on short yardage, or hey, we're going to spend a lot of our, our spring on red zone offense and defense. But I wonder if he looks at game management things and says, hey, Blake Seiler, you call everything on special teams. Um, hey, Sean Reagan, um, you're going to be in charge of when we need to call timeouts in certain situations because he's up in the booth and he's not going to be distracted by stuff, right, by extracurriculars or anything there. He's kind of in a sterile environment. I just wonder if that's part of the calculus of the offseason there. And I also wonder if that's even fair because he's not a first-year coach. This is his fifth year as a head coach. I would assume he's had his hands in the levers and the buttons all the time, and he's probably comfortable with it. But um, whereas Holgerson was a first-time head coach, and it took him, what, six years before he delegated. So I don't know, maybe, maybe we're two years away from Brown doing that. I'm not sure, but I, I do wonder if that's part of his self-scout in the offseason of, hey, how do we become more efficient where we're not calling timeouts down the play clock or uh, I'm catching things earlier or, you know, and now we're also adding check with me stuff at the line of scrimmage. So that's another thing on his plate. Um, I'm just curious if there's an honest answer to what I think is an honest question. Well, you know who's going to get an A-plus during this postseason audit? Mm-hmm. Vic Coning. Excellent. Um, because another amazing day today, and I, not only was it great, I mean, you're shutting down. I, I understand that Oklahoma State had a backup quarterback, but Drew Brown is not your typical backup quarterback. He started for almost two years at Hawaii. Uh, he was brought in was expected to be the starter at at Oklahoma State. Um, and they have Chuba Hubbard, who is going to be one of the most prolific rushers in NCAA history. He leads the nation in rushing right now. He's amazing. They have a lot of weapons on offense, and they just held them to 20 points. They held Chuba Hubbard to one of his worst outputs per rush in his career. And this is this is becoming a trend now. And where would you say West Virginia's defensive two deep ranks in the Big 12? It Last, second to last, like as far as depth and experience goes? Well, I can think of eight that are better right off the top of my head just because talent recruiting results injury report whatever um i think kansas is probably a parallel situation um and i can't speak specifically to them um i don't know what they have going on as far as who's available who's not but they've taken some blows during this season too so let's say that west virginia's the worst and tied and no one's worse in the situation they have right now and it's it's ridiculous too and um you know we this is this is minor stuff but like I think I think Tyke Smith played every snap today, and if not, it was darn close because they don't. There's no backup there now, and like their their situation with Will is Chandler, who is just coming back, and he played darn near every snap today. You don't have like not to tout here, but like Quantel Reigns probably gone from the program could have played 12 or 15 snaps today. And I think that's a guy that like thought he was moving up and doing better things because they made him a will. He could have probably helped out something there today. Did they win because of him? No, I don't think. Um, but like, my point is that you add these things up that are small and you look at him and you look at another guy who's hurt or another guy that's injured, another guy who can't play and guys on the sideline are watching. It's been like guys who have fallen off during the season and you put together all those little things. And it's a big ball that they're missing out there right now too. Um, it's just a gap in so many areas. So um, it's, it's depleted. It's not getting better right now either. Um, I don't, I'm wondering who they played today. I don't think Jalen Thornton played. He was in uniform. I don't think 
I think Corey Turner played a bunch. I don't think Tavian Mayo played. Not that he would have helped, but like even the guys who they thought might be able to give him a boost, like a, a Dre Miller or something like that, just not ready yet, not there yet. So, um, you know, it's leaking a little bit, and those holes are getting bigger. But still successful. Yeah, and you'd have to – I mean, that this is, goes to my greater point of it's frustrating to see that. Like, you know, like I was talking about, the fans are raising the bar because West Virginia is doing things and they're expecting it to be the next step after that. Uh, they shut down this offense. Yeah. Uh, they shut down Hubbard for three quarters and kind of gave up a little bit in the fourth. Um, you know, I think uh, Hubbard averaged like five or six yards per carry in the fourth, which is uh, a decent chunk. And obviously, if you're giving up that kind of yardage, you're not going to win. But before that, it was 1.7. So they were doing something well for a long time. And the fact that Coning can do this with so many departures, so many injuries, and maybe the worst, not the worst, worst is such a bad word, because I think, you know, some of these guys that are starting would start at almost every team in the Big 12 right now. Most inflicted. Uh, yeah. And, and and he's doing so much with it. The idea of him in a year or two having a real legit too deep and running his scheme has to be exciting for West Virginia fans and frightening for the rest of the conference, I think. I think it's cool to think about what they're going to be able to do recruiting in the next year or two with defensive line. I think you can make a similar argument for kind of challenging guys in the secondary that, hey, come and play here. You're going to play really good receivers, and they're going to have to tackle against the run. So if you're a corner, your safety, that might be inviting. Linebacker's curious. Um, I don't think that they have the the footage or or the, the guy. They don't have the baseball card, so to speak, to hand over recruit and say, hey, come be our bandit. It's going to look like this. They may have their guy in Jared Bartlett, though linebacker it's just such a messy situation right now too that's going to be hard to get and again it, you kind of want guys who are physically mature who are going to play those linebacker spots and i really think that even if you have a good defensive line you have a good secondary run game stuff and intermediate stuff it's just a lot better if you have linebackers and do you, do you foresee this being an issue moving forward i feel like that's the slowest one to piece together in the depth chart even though you really don't want freshman defensive linemen playing but i think you can fix that with junior college same thing in the secondary, and I think that we've seen freshmen can play in the secondary. You don't want a lot of them. I get that, but I just feel like the linebacker thing may be slower to come around. Yeah, it, they've made some interesting moves at linebacker. I think they're offering they're, – the focus seems to be on picking up more bandits, uh, interestingly enough. I, mm -hmm. I think there's been a couple guys that they've targeted at the junior college level that are either defensive ends or edge-rushing linebackers. And quite frankly, I think they're in a good position to land a couple of them. Uh, but we're really not seeing a lot of, say, interior guys, my, true Mike linebackers or, or guys that uh, almost exclusively play linebacker at the high school level because we're seeing those edge rush types, guys that maybe are kind of bigger like defensive ends. And, and then safeties who, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not comparing anybody to anybody here, but the last guy I remember that was just a true safety that they wanted as a linebacker was David Long. And that worked out all right. So I don't say you have to play linebacker in high school, but uh, there aren't a lot of linebackers on the recruiting board right now. And I feel like that is a big area of need for this team. I mean, granted, how many of those injuries on this year's team were to linebackers too? So that could change, change things as well. Yeah, and the problem is that it's a 60-minute game. 
Oklahoma State didn't beat them with the quantity of snaps, but they kind of did some tricky stuff. Like that, the drive they went ahead on, they let Brown take control. And he was 6-7 for 45 yards, and he was playing quick, and they were running snaps. And, and you could kind of tell that that was pushing and pushing and pushing West Virginia closer and closer to the edge. And then Hubbard, we, we wrote about this and talked about this. He's just good in the third and fourth quarter. And, you know, I think he had eight carries for 47 yards in the fourth quarter. It was pretty good. Um, he had 17 carries in the second half. So you could almost kind of tell that early on they realized, you know what, um, we may have weather. It's chilly. This is not going to be a track me out here today. West Virginia's defense came into play. We have a backup quarterback. This is going to be low scoring, and, you know, it's going to come down to one or two possessions. And I think they said we have one of the best singular players in the country. Let's see what we can do. And he ended up with a, a good all-around game there, not up to his standard, but enough. And they kind of trusted it, and it worked. And, again, just made those one or two plays that really mattered. Um, and it didn't blow him away. His long run was 13 but just kind of did the things you had to do and got him in position to do stuff that, that really mattered. Um, two things that I think are important. Um, that you can, I just want to put this in perspective. Shepard had 20 touchdowns coming in. 20 touchdowns, right? Um, if you add up the yardage on his 20 touchdowns, just the 20 touchdowns, he has more yardage on touchdown runs than McCoy and Letty Brown had, period, coming into the game. So that's how good and how bad those two respective sides have been. But also, um, 13 yards for him is amazing. Like, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that doesn't happen. That's like a typical carry for him sometimes. And also, Oklahoma State had scored a 50 yard touchdown in six straight games. And their long play today was a screen pass to Hubbard for 46, where it probably should have been canned, if not in the backfield, and pretty close. Um, so even though Vic has one of the most effective defenses in the Big 12, they took away with the other team did well. They really made them work hard and work long and go to the finish line here today. Yeah, I was going to say that that one screen pass I felt like was the one bad, quote-unquote, play for that defense through almost three quarters because, uh, man, that came on that first drive, and I saw it in the effort from a couple people, a couple of those standing straight up arm tackles and a couple others kind of just floating into blocks and dancing with guys and getting – right out of the play, I thought, oh, man, this is not a good sign. This is there is going to be the start of the Texas Tech game all over again. And then they came out and played amazing for the next handful of drives, right up until um, that final touchdown drive. I, I think – I don't think they – the effort wasn't there. I just think they got tempo. They got tired. Oklahoma State uh, picked up the pace and made some quick passes and just kept on going, getting chunk yards. It's just good coaching, and that's what you do. You find a weakness, yeah. and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you do it. Um, that, that just happens. Uh, second play from scrimmage, Hubbard darn near scored on. And, I mean, the cutback was there, and he was wide open up the left side. There was, they had an outflank on the right, and he was wide open on the left side. And Kerry Martin made a great tackle, and I think he was probably pretty good today. Probably made everybody feel better because tackling has not been his strong suit. I have him for, one, two, three, five. I have him for nine tackles. Um, and that's a guy that you're going to have to have do that stuff. So that was important. A lot of solo stops where he was by himself there. That was good, too. So um, interesting. Um, also interesting, flea flicker. <laughs> it was too far away, wasn't it? Miserable. Yeah, yeah you got to be inside the 20 to do that. So uh, I'm sure we'll have to talk about that at our fan club meeting this week, too. So um, uh, a lot to um, a lot to feel optimistic about, but... I think the bummer here is that you allowed 20 points and you really handled 
a good running back, um, but a team that scored 20, played with a backup quarterback, and didn't have a up-to-par day from its star player, still escapes with a win, and you had the ball at the end. Um, really not a great way to wrap up the home season here, which, as was pointed out, the Brown featured zero conference wins. Um, the highlight is a home win against NC State, which appears to be a pretty bad team now. Kind of a mixed bag of things. The best performances and certainly the best win, I think, have come away from home. They'll close next season. Excuse me, next week they'll close the season at TCU on a Friday. Not as exciting. It could have been really cool if both those teams were playing for a goal, but only one gets it. It almost becomes like a playoff game. But this is going to be an awkward week for West Virginia. How do you think this goes, and what do you think the challenges for coaches and players, knowing that you know that carrot is no longer at the end of the stick? It's going to be tough. You know, away game, the carrot's gone. Um, I'm, I, I don't, guys aren't going to give up. That's not a thing. I mean, I, I think there's some effort that might disappear a little bit, just kind of naturally, but guys aren't going to say, screw it, I don't care. Um, they may not know they're giving less effort, but I'm most interested to see if maybe there's a couple more changes. Maybe there's a couple more young guys that get a little more opportunity now that, you know, there's, nothing to lose so to speak uh i i think we know the redshirt situation with everybody so it's not like anybody can and can't play and there might be a couple guys that get a few more snaps i'm reminded of like thanksgiving when you would go home in college or your college years afterward and you would play like that thursday morning or wednesday afternoon game with your friends and it would just be just helter skelter and you know your aunt lets your uncle play and he's playing quarterback and you're running double passes and things you've never seen before, and it ends up being a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I just wonder how much creativity or ingenuity or just wacky stuff we could see there because you can't really do anything that's going to change the way people feel about the season. If you win, great, but that's fleeting because you go into the offseason. Right after that, if you lose, hey, it's a lost season. I don't think anybody's going to be too upset or too excited about anything. It could be kind of fun. Um, I think it would be fun to see what Diggy can do against Gary Patterson's defense. The good thing is that there's no school. You can exceed 20 hours a week and do what you want. The bad thing is this is a team that really can't even practice the way it wants to right now just because of numbers and things. So they're not going to be able to take advantage of that. Also, a shorter week. They're traveling on Thursday. Um, it's it's a tough spot. I, I would be surprised if they're sharp or uh, you know overly impressive. I'd be really surprised if they were flat and laying an egg. But I think you're right. I think there's a lot of challenges here. And you know the final challenge in a season like this is always going to be hard to overcome. And it ain't Mexico either, so no, no offense to my fans in Fort Worth. No, it is not. Chris, well, let's I, wrap it up here. What do you have uh, coming up on the website? In the uh, I will have my final Big Twelve Power or penultimate Big mm. Twelve Power Rankings uh, tomorrow. I will have some visitor reaction. Uh, there were a handful of visitors on campus. Several of them of the walk-on variety. Uh, younger kids, one key, at least one key official visitor in junior college cornerback, Jackie Matthews. That's one to keep an eye on. I think he's obviously going to get the pitch of, hey, Washington or Bailey are gone. You could step right in and compete for a starting job. Come here. And uh, and then we'll move on the next week. Like you said, games on Friday instead of Saturday. So a lot of our stuff's going to be moved up a day uh, and, and we'll have team coverage and then Basketball stuff going on uh, Tuesday night, right? Is that so? Wow. 
I think so. How do you feel uh, about this tournament, by the way? The fact that they had to pay $85,000 for the two teams that just played. They had to pay for all of their travel and accommodations down there. It's wild. So, yeah, I, was, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. it if West Virginia, I assume they make some money off of it, right? Because they get they, to keep the receipts keep the, from the home games. Keep the gate, but I think they had 10000 there last night, actually. So, and they also charged me more for my cob salad, which I'm very upset about because that is a that is an after the fact change in the pricing schedule. I'm not a fan of, but that's how they're going to make money on this, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, you keep your gate. I'm very curious how much money they keep out of that. Like, I don't. Do they make eighty six thousand dollars last night? Well, that's what I, that's what I'm going to ask you. Do you? I mean, they if they didn't do this Cancun thing, they just have a regular home game, right? Or are they yeah. limited? They just well, have regular. If you do that, then you're not going to be able to get 31 regular season games, and I think, right? Okay. To, yeah, that's what I was just. Gonna... You're only allowed to play 31 if you play a, a tournament like this. So they're going to yeah. play one every year, but almost always you're comped for this stuff. Um, I have a theory about this that I'll tell you offline. It's too hot for the podcast, but um, <laughs> it's something I'm going to have to dig into. But it's a really weird arrangement. Every time I ask about it, people go, oh, Mike. Uh, my answer is yeah. <laughs> There's nothing beyond that. It's just like, oh, that's you again, Mike. I'm like, no, but you're paying $170,000 to play these games like against i mean one team could have beat you and one team wasn't very good i mean it's okay but like i doubt they're making money on it this is after they paid for cpi games um it's just a weird finance that i've never encountered before hey don't, don't worry fans too often when uh after mike tells me i'll post it on the <laughs> ear sports vip plus section of the site so don't worry so i'll have three things in the morning follow through with uh, what the heck happened on that goal line sequence there, the the bad things that kind of derailed that possession and kind of, again, illustrated the entire season in one small sequence. Then we'll get into some Jared Dakey stuff on Monday. And then our football Tuesday will actually be Monday this week. And Chris, you went out the huddle about our holiday schedule and then uh, when we're going to do our podcast and whether or not you like cranberries in a can or cranberries in the traditional sense. Neither. Oh, there that you is go. the wrong answer. <laughs> Uh, the answer is always mac and cheese. That's my vegetable of choice or fruit of choice. No, that's a fruit. Mac and cheese. cheese. Is a fruit. No. Mac and cheese. Hey. I know it's not a fruit. I know it's not a fruit too, but it's my side of choice. It's going to be my vegetable. It'll be my vegetable while mashed potatoes will be my fruit, even though I know potatoes are not fruits, but those we are my sides. Fantasy, we can do a fantasy draft of our menu on uh, whatever day we actually do this, but we are out of time here, so... That's all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I am Mike Cassasso. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll see you later.